and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. Team USA advanced to round 16 of the World Cup. But we're here to talk about basketball. We're here to talk Gigi Jackson late in the show. We're here to talk first-time All-Stars, potential guys that could reach their first All-Star game in the NBA in the middle of the show. But we're going to start with Lakers, Pacers at the start of the show. Mark, what's going on, buddy? Dude, it has been a crazy week. Um, it's been a good week, but yeah, catching up on a lot of hoops. Obviously, as you know, last week was like the craziest week in college basketball that we're going to have until just about March. So um, keeping on top of that, keeping on top of the NBA, having a computer die, um, having Thanksgiving happen somewhere in between there too. Like it was it was a week, man, but I'm, I'm excited to break down some things here. Yeah, you had a rough, long week, it sounds like, and we got to get you talking about hoops again. Yeah. And there's no better way to get you talking about hoops than to start with your beloved Indiana Pacers, the team, I don't know, that you talk about more than any other team just because of Begrudgingly, the yeah. and it's, everything. Yeah, yeah. It's this is, uh, this is the weirdest team in basketball, man. Look, right, right there with the Sacramento <laughs> Kings. And they play tomorrow night, which is very exciting. Um, but, yeah, this team's 12-8, and eight, fourth in the Eastern Conference every time that I say – you know, it's finally going to even out. They're going to you know, they're, they're going to hit the bottom a little bit, and we're going to see what the team truly is. No, they instead last night they have Andrew Nemhard, who has I I mean I thought Andrew Nemhard would do good things this year. I didn't think Andrew Nemhard was going to start games, um, and yeah. he hits a game winning three over LeBron. And Kevin Pritchard is running onto the court and dogpiling onto a team that is now twelve and eight that I didn't think would have twelve wins into the new year. Um, so yeah, this has been. A wild start to the season, man. And then when you even look at it from just the Lakers' perspective, I I, want to be fair and say, okay, the Pacers earned that game. They they played really damn hard and they won. That was just a pitiful fourth quarter performance by the Lakers, man. The to be fair to LeBron, uh, he he definitely hurt his ankle early on in the game and it clearly hobbled him throughout. But I think he crossed half court like five times in the fourth quarter. He was not going back on defense. he was clearly struggling to get to the rim on offense, was settling for a lot. Their entire offensive game plan just died in the fourth quarter and everything became iso ball. Um, I think Anthony Davis had three touches in the last eight minutes of the game. And especially with what kind of uh, – with with what they had going with him in the pick and roll early in the game, um, it was just a very odd game for them to close out that way. Especially like I, I, I won't even lie, I fell asleep – uh, two minutes into the fourth quarter last night, and I had to rewatch the game this morning because I woke up with about sixty seconds left, just in time to see Andrew Nemhard take over. Um, we're talking about first time All Stars. Maybe he's on here, but like, I mean, that was I, I, the the amount of ways that you can look at that game and uh, look at it both in positives for the Pacers, confusion for the Pacers, and then like, what the hell from the Lakers? especially considering that they had just been on, granted, a, an easy schedule, but a, a pretty nice run of games. That was a that was a very deflating game for them. It was a very deflating game for them. And I want to start with the Lakers, if only for the way this podcast is going to get laid out, right? Because the Lakers don't have any first-time All-Stars. I think Indiana very clearly has one in Tyrese Halliburton. So I just want to be able to transition into Tyrese you know, from Tyrese directly into that. So we're going to start with the Lakers only for that reason. Um, I don't want to start with a hot take. I don't, I like to talk reasonably. I like to talk, you know, in detail about basketball. Are we sure Darvin Ham like, isn't the worst coach in the league right now? 
Are, are we positive about that? Like it's only been, I think 19 games. I think they're seven and 12 now. He's really bad. Like that's what I keep coming back to when I watch the Lakers. The lineup constructions are asinine. Like they, at the four and a half minute mark of that game last night, busted out a Dennis Schroeder, Russell Westbrook, Troy Brown backcourt next to LeBron and Anthony Davis. Are there three players like that you could find that are less of a fit with those guys? Dennis Schroeder is going to pound the ball. Russell Westbrook's obviously going to pound the ball. Troy Brown can't shoot. So I, I, the lineup constructions don't make sense. The offense doesn't make sense. Like, I, I don't know what their plan is on offense. Just straight up. I, I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish on offense. It's a lot of iso ball. It's a lot of dribble. It's like watching dribble drive. It's like watching John Calipari's Kentucky teams try and dribble drive their way to a title. And that shit doesn't fly in the NBA especially when LeBron is hobbled on one leg. It's I, I don't see a team in the league that I have less of an idea what goal they're trying to accomplish on offense beyond points. Like, I, I don't know how they're trying to get the points. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's really tough with him. Um, I'm not entirely sure how to view that because I think like, I mean, like you're mentioning so much of this is caked in what that roster is right now. Um, because it is like, like you mentioned, I mean, Troy Brown is starting for this team right now. I've, I mean, I'll always have myself hitched to the Troy Brown bandwagon. Anybody who has feel and can pass and, you know, tries on defense is always going to be exciting for me. But, um, like you mentioned, like having Russ, Dennis Schroeder and, and Troy Brown out there at the same time, like, I mean, very clearly, Indiana just did not have to worry about a lot of these guys on defense last night. Um, And especially, like you mentioned, when it gets down into more of the, okay, well, we're just going to isolate, play late in the clock. um, It doesn't work. You know, all it takes is a bad shot or a rim out and your possession dies. And I think we've seen that be a problem. And it's been tough, too. Like, they're trying to – like, Thomas Bryant has looked okay since he's come back. But, again, like, they're they're trying to integrate so many guys. Like, I think part of the issue, too, you're just in a spot of – Again, like last year, having really limited players who excel at one thing, and you can't really not have that thing. But then the other things that the guys excel are bad at are they're really bad at. Like Kendrick Nunn might be the worst perimeter defender in the backcourt in basketball right now. Like he, he's really his bad. Legs, his legs are shot, yeah. and he has not even been able to provide the floor spacing that they've needed from him. But they keep playing him because they're hoping they get it. Like that's just the state the roster's been in. They have one guy shooting above well, – two guys shooting above league average from three that are in the rotation right now. And that's pretty bad. Um, I think – I mean, I tweeted this out the other day. Other than Anthony Davis, like, Lonnie Walker's been a blast to watch this year. Um, I've, I've loved that. But, yeah, this team is uh, – this team is, is pretty bad. Um, and I, I agree. I think yeah. there are things that have been not my favorite from, uh, from Darvin Ham. But, again, I think – it's just been tough. Like this is the first year where I've really felt, uh, and I want to be careful in saying this. Like again, he's clearly dealing with injuries and and hasn't been himself. But like LeBron does not feel like a superstar right now um, no. in Washington play. I don't think the impact has been there. The defense has been really bad, um, and I mean just in terms of where his shots are coming from, he's not shooting well from three. He's taking the most of his career. 
Um, I think part of it's probably self-preservation. Like I don't want to, I think we've always had times of people getting way too low on LeBron, but uh, this is the most I've ever felt like concerned in watching him play. Like is, is he going to get back to another level? Um, Lakers down bad right now. I think is the best way to put it. And especially too, like they had found a formula that was working, get AD the ball on the move or extremely close to the basket. Let him get, th- get fouls. He's got the highest two-point percentage of his career largely because he's been so dominant finishing on the interior. And they got away from that yesterday. And I think that was a, that was really problematic for them. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because you want to say he's not settling, really, because he's not. Like, if you go to Daryl Blackport's awesome play-by-play stats website, his average two-point shot distance is – Actually, I think the lowest it's ever been in his career. He's taking shots from two-point range, on average, under six feet away from the basket, which is really good. It means he's getting to the rim a lot. But I feel like more of those shots are contested than normal. Uh, it feels like more of those shots are in the, let's say, two to eight-foot range as opposed to just layups at the rim off of a drive. It feels like he's putting his shoulder down and trying to like bully his way to the basket a little bit more often because he doesn't have, you know, the lightning burst that he used to have because he's very old and has a lot of Myers miles on his tires at this point. I, I don't want to write LeBron off as a superstar by any stretch. It's just that he's not playing like one right now. Anthony yeah. Davis is the guy that's playing honestly like a superstar. Like, I think Anthony, for all the consternation that's been out there about Anthony Davis, he's averaging like 25 points and 12 rebounds, and he's holding this thing together with like floss and, you know, duct tape on defense, it feels like every night. So Anthony Davis has been great, but I think we kind of know at this point that Anthony Davis is best when he is like the highest of the highest end number two options, right? because he's not an elite level shot creator because he's not this elite level mid-range shooter or three-point shooter. Uh he's effective when someone else can create shots for him that are open. That's how he creates his shots. Not that he can't create shots. It's just that he is better when he has someone else creating a shot for him. So where does this all go? Right? Reports are now that the Lakers are targeting December 15th as the day. That's when More of the league can be traded. A majority of the league, I feel like, can be traded at that point because that's when free agents that were signed last year are allowed to be traded. I mean, look, here's the deal. This is what it comes down to. This team has one player that makes sense on a roster next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It's not Russell Westbrook. It's not Patrick Beverly. It's Austin Reeves. Like, he's really the only guy that, like, the outline of his game makes sense next to those guys. He's super smart. He's super unselfish. He shoots well from three. He can create shots as a secondary ball handler. Like any of these minutes where they have another point guard out on the court, I do not understand. I get having Russ as the point guard. I get having LeBron out there handling the ball. Any other minutes with guys like Dennis Schroeder, Kendrick Nunn handling the ball, those minutes are a loss for the Lakers because you could just have Austin Reeves playing point guard. And I think he is capable of initiating the offense at this point. Some of the passes he even threw last night that the team didn't convert, I thought were super impressive. So they need to make a move. But even if they do make a move, 
I've seen enough at this point to where I'm like fairly worried that Darvin Ham will put these guys in position to succeed. Having said that, if you go and get floor spacing, if you go and get a buddy healed and Miles Turner, if you go and get guys who can really shoot the ball, it becomes way easier for Darvin Ham because you can just put shooters around LeBron and he can make shit happen. Or, you know, put shooters around Austin Reeves and he can hit kickout passes. Or put, you know, shooters around Russell Westbrook if you keep him and he can hit kickout passes. Or the lane is more open for Russell Westbrook at that point. So that's a lot to throw at you. I mean, I, I just, they need to do something at this point. That's where I am on this. They they have to do something. They can't just like sit here and mess around anymore. It's, and this is what I've been saying for months now. So I, I don't, I, I don't get what the, I don't get the plan at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't disagree. I, I I'm, I'm interested to see what materializes because it feels like if the miles Turner buddy heel trade was going to happen, it would have already. Um, yeah. Like I, I'm in that mindset. I'm, I could end up being completely wrong on that, but that's just how it's felt. Um, I do think both those guys would immediately help them a ton. It was kind of cathartic because Russ was actually really damn good last night. And yeah. Miles and Buddy both had rather subpar games compared to what their seasons have been. Still good games. but um, So it was funny in that vein. But uh, in the same sense, yeah, I think you could immediately see how both guys help. Like Buddy would do things for, for that offense that they just don't have anybody who, who can do that. He provides secondary playmaking. Obviously, needs to be reined in sometimes because the when he starts getting into his bag a little too much, it can be a lot. But he, I think he's a better playmaker than he tends to get credit for. But then Miles, like I think to me, like this team needs to just get back to being the elite level defense that they've been, and then kind of grinding things out. You know, hopefully they can get out in transition and be active. Like that's why I really like Lonnie Walker for them. It feels like half his points come in transition. Um, but I mean, if you have Miles Turner and Anthony Davis together, that's extremely tantalizing to me especially too because their backup big room has been a mess like Wenyan Gabriel is solid as a defensive player but offensively it's I mean their their lineups are, are just really rough on offense well, ultimately what it comes down to is they don't have two-way players yeah right? exactly like Austin Reeves is probably the closest thing they have he is a good team defender but he gets beat on ball like fairly regularly uh, I, I thought that he got hit a little bit last night, but he's a really smart team defender. He's constantly available rotationally. He's sharp and he's big is the other thing. Like he's like six foot five, six foot six, like that being that big really helps defensively. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a liability defensively necessarily, even if he's not like a super plus defender either. The rest of it, like Lonnie Walker, isn't a great defender. He can score and get, shots like off of closeouts and attack and get to the rim, but he's not a great defender. Troy Brown, like theoretically should be a good offensive player, but on a LeBron team, he's not because he can't shoot. Juan Scano Anderson is just limited in terms of what he can do off the bounce. Uh, You can just look across the board with this Lakers Roster, Kendrick Nunn, not a two-way guy. Um, Damian Jones, not a two-way guy. Maybe not a one-way guy. Um, Thomas Bryant is not a great defender. Uh, Like, you can go up and down. Like, I'm sure I'm missing guys in the rotation. Russell Westbrook, not a great defender. Like, it's just hard, I think. It's hard to look at all of this and see how this roster makes sense. They have to do something at the end of the day. But again, like I started this by saying, 
it's just an incredibly flawed situation. Like it's Darvin Ham and it's Rob Polinka and it's that LeBron might be aging. Like there's just a number of things here that are going wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's a confluence of factors for sure. Um, and I still think uh, just given what the West is right now, not that I think that to a degree it's been downplayed, but like this team is not far out. And I know no. that some people would look at that and be like, well, you know, that's not a reason to go in. I'm like, well, to me, with what you have right now, I just don't think that you can afford to not. Um, I even if you decide like, okay, well, like I just don't understand. Like the the trade AD stuff is kind of wild to me. Um, I I can't get there, and I frankly I just I don't like thinking about the trade stuff. Like if it happens, then I'll think about it. But right now, in terms of making the team better, I do think you can legitimately look at this and say that you could if if you can bank in LeBron getting back to a level that I think we expect of him or saying expect of him sounds crazy when he's at this stage, but that's just, I mean, he's LeBron. Um, what you anticipate from him, I think is a better way to put it. And building an elite level defense around them. Cause I think there have been flashes of that. If they can, you know, build out other parts of the rotation, then I buy that team as being able to do something in the playoffs. Does that mean winning a title? I don't know, but I think it's yeah. better than whatever the fuck they're doing right now. So I would be very excited about that <laughs> compared to what has been recently. Okay, so let's go to the Pacers now. And let's start with just the guy who's making it all happen. And our topic of the day was first-time All-Stars. We mm-hmm. wanted to talk about the guys that we think are going to be All-Stars for the first time this season. And Tyrese Halliburton, uh, look, I think Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who we'll talk about in a minute, he's probably number one on the list. But Tyrese Halliburton is probably two for me at this point. Halliburton right now is in the midst of of a three-game stretch where he has 40 assists and zero turnovers. He is the first player in league history to do that, according to basketball references like SpanFinder. 40 40 assists and zero turnovers in three games is bonkers. That is like almost impossible for me to fathom. Oh, by the way, he's also averaging 20 points, six rebounds, and I think he's averaging like two steals in the middle of that time as well. So he's basically in the middle of a run where it's 26-14 and two steals and leading the Pacers on this surprise, incredible run right now where they're 12-8, and nobody expected it. This guy is unbelievable. And I don't know that enough people are recognizing how remarkable – Tyrese Halliburton is and how he has completely transformed what the Pacers are doing offensively. Yeah. uh, I mean, everything that the Pacers are doing is built on transition. And even if it's not transition in that in when you get to the half court, like they try and play in transition in the half court, like the majority (laughs) of the screens that they set are going to be just like ghosted screens or minimal contact, or it's a push saying push off is wrong. way to put it, but like it's they're They're not built into in setting contact screens. Everything is about continual movement, getting things going, having constant motion off the ball. It's part of why they've been a really exciting offense to watch. It's stagnated a little bit in, in recent weeks because some of their shot makings died down, but like they've been one of the best three point shooting teams in basketball after being very, very bad shooting wise last year and the year prior, both in actual percentages and just what they're, variety was and what they could do um it's different this year and again like Tyrese in terms of what he does to get guys open like he's gotten better at 
getting deeper into the paint with his own handle. Um, I still think like it's crazy to say when he's averaging 20 points per game, but like I think that there's room for him to be taking more shots. Um, yeah. Part of that is by nature of like he's an assist first guy. Um, he's still figuring out how to be um, like a score first player. And I think that's always going to be something that he's teetering with and working on, but he's gotten into more something that Caitlin Cooper, a colleague of mine in front of yours has, has written about like uh, he's gotten into doing more of sidestep dribbles and uh, just exciting self-created threes that instead of like, he's, he's had the stuff with um, his ability to um, with his ability to like create from three in general, but like that's expanded. He's doing more in, in terms of like just getting to pull up to it's just everything is starting to compound and get better. I will say the defense has been pretty abhorrent this year from him. Um, I think that like, I mean, in, in part, like I think that's, that's been the, the Pacers in general, like they're 13th in defense right now. I think that's a little bit because miles has been awesome, but their perimeter stuff has been all over the place, but he's, he's struggling that end. But the, just again, the stuff in general, I, I am interested to see if he can get to the foul line more. Um, and I think that's part of continuing to get deeper paint touches, but he's been really impressive, man. The, the touch that he has inside the arc and then on the passes, like he's leading, he's not just leading the league in assists by, a small margin like Trey Young is is second at nine point four assists per game and Tyrese averaging eleven point three. Um, yeah, like it's it's it, it's really fun stuff. I know everybody brings up the Chris Paul comparisons, um, and I I don't know where to fall on that, but it, it does feel like that same vein of he just makes things happen to a degree that others don't with the ball in his hands, and it's very fun to watch. I think that so he's not Chris Paul because Chris Paul was able to like live in the mid range and like keep guys on his hip and then be like an elite level pull up threat from the mid range mm-hmm. as well. And I think that that's the difference right now, but in terms of the way that Tyrese like dictates the game and transition and dictates the tempo of the game and the pace of play, I do understand that. Like there's probably a better comparison for it on some level. Like, is it, yeah, like Jason Kidd was really good defensively, so like it's probably not that. Like there's there's got to be some comparison point out there for Tyrese from past generations that really makes sense. Like a bigger guard who but like Tyrese can really shoot from 3 and like has that pull-up ability from 3 now. It's it's hard to find it's hard to find the right mix of who he is like going back to past generations. And I think that's part of why throughout his career he's been very undervalued. Uh, you go back to the season where he was like the fifth starter at Iowa State, where they had like Taylor Horton Tucker and Nick Weiler Babb and uh, Marielle Shayok, I think was on that's that team. That's such a weird team, man. It's a fun team. Like that's the team. A I great team though. Yeah. yeah. Like an incredibly fun team. But like he was like the fifth starter on that team because he, he was like not super physically strong yet and couldn't really mm-hmm. handle the ball like at a level commensurate with playing you know, full-time point guard in the big 12, but then immediately took the jump next year as he got stronger, just got hurt. I think he hurt his wrist. If I remember correctly in his sophomore year of college. And then he just felt like one of those guys throughout the pre-draft process, that people doubted for whatever reason, I think I had him at like seven or so. And I think I was even low on him and I was one of the higher people on him. Um, I don't think I was quite as high as a lot of the data driven people. Like I think Kevin Pelton, God, I think KP had him at like one or two in that class. Yeah, very high. Um, yeah, like very, very high. Um, but 
among like the scouting people, I was like, yeah, like I think he just makes guys better, like point blank. I didn't see this coming. I I never saw him being able to dictate play this way. I saw him. I mean, this is what everyone thought Lonzo, like the the highest echelon of what Lonzo like could be in the NBA is what Tyrese Halliburton is doing right now. He is dictating play constantly. He's taking pull up threes. Uh, He is cutting really intelligently. He's playing Good team defense. He's really bad on the ball, and I think that's what you're saying when you say he's a liability because he does say, end up guarding on the ball. Yeah. But I yeah. will say too, like it, it made me unbiased because I like watch all of the games. But like I did, that sounded shitty. I didn't mean it that way. But like I, I, I probably overly nitpick his team defense. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's it's yeah. I, and I think like to be honest, like when he was in Sacramento, I felt his defense was better just because he was doing less with the ball in his hands. Like his usage yeah. rate's been the highest of his career. So astronomical. Expected. Yeah. Yeah, so it's this combination of skills is very difficult to find in a player. And he's almost novel in a way, like compared to other players around the league and compared to other, like the combination of skills that he has in the way that he utilizes them is somewhat novel, I guess I would say. It's not like he's the best point guard in the league, but it's just very different from any other point guard in the league. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to put it because, like you mentioned, in terms of um, like I think there were very understandable reasons for why he went lower in the draft than he did. Um, but also, like he, he also, for think, what it's worth, like he also asked teams not to draft him. Yeah, like, no, that, exactly. That's a yeah. part of yeah, it. Too. That's that's definitely part of it. But I think just in terms of like you're mentioning with it's like so often I can pull up a player like I can talk about Shea. And I can compare Shea to plenty of players. Like, I think there are a lot of guys that I can look at and see a lot of similarities to with Shea. Um, I can't do that with Tyrese. Like you mentioned, like, even, like, when people bring up the Chris Paul comparison, I think it's, like, the closest thing I can come with. But also, it's so different still that it just doesn't feel right. And I, I think, like you mentioned with the novelty, there's just a – there's such a difference in – in seeing a guy that you don't really know how to quantify what he what he is compared to to past guys, and um, it's just it's been a joy to watch him grow as a player. And I'm a we just need to stop relitigating the, the the Kings Pacers trade as far as I'm concerned. As we got that off my chest last week, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm I mean he's only 22 years old. He's doing this, um, so it's just I, I'm very excited to see what happens next and how he continues to grow and develop. But yes, I mean, first time all star for sure. He is a first time all star. Like as long as he stays healthy and as long as his team stays around like five hundred ish, I, I, I can't see it. I, I can't see how it's different. Do you want to talk about anything else with the Pacers? So I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a little Twitter question here asking who people would compare Tyrese Halliburton to, and I'm hoping we get some responses. Okay. But I want to give you the floor to talk about other Pacers matters because. Obviously, you know this team even better than I do. Yeah, I. Uh, that's a good question. I think what what other Pacers matters. One thing I had written down because I wrote down just like my list of guys who I think have potential to be in the running. That that doesn't mean that they will necessarily be in the running, but guys who I think, if I got asked right now or I looked in twenty games and a couple things happened, would they be potentially on my All Star ballot? I do think, based on how good his defense has been, he's having the best offense season of his career. Let's say if the Pacers are 22 and 19 when we're getting to the halfway point of the season, I think there's like legitimate 
cause to call Miles Turner an All Star. Um, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. necessarily that I like. I think he's been close to that value for me. Like he's been definitely a top 40 guy in the league, probably a little bit higher. Like the defense has been really good again. I don't think I would have him as like a DPOY guy. Like I think he'd make my short list, but um, there are guys like, again, like Brooke Lopez and, and Anthony Davis are the two guys that are right off top, you know, OG and Anobi, like we've talked about. I think miles is in that tier below those guys, but um, what he's done offensively, like he's just really found he's starting, like he's, he still does it from time to time, but he's gotten a lot better at not checking out of things. Um, I think, playing in such a high paced offense has been really awesome for just unlocking what he does as a roller. Like being a roller in a more stationary offense hasn't been awesome for him in the past. Cause he's not, uh, it's not like he's a bad leaper, but he's not like, he's not somebody I would really call a lob threat. Um, he's not an awesome short roll guy. Like he can kind of do it, but he's much better. Like, okay, I'm, we're getting downhill. There's, a, 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 like a, a very open play for me or I'm in the dunker spot. Like he, the, the decision-making paths, it feels like are just much narrower now. And it's like, he also too, just to his credit, I think he's gotten so much better at being assertive and finding ways to be part of the offense without having a play drawn up for him. And it's been a joy to watch because it's the kind of thing that I've really wanted to see from his, his game for the last two, three years, just developing that out, finding ways to really attack the glass. He has the highest offensive rebounding rate of his career. Um, it, it's been really cool to see him find his role and find a, a way to be who he is because I think there was a, not to misquote him, but I think he's always felt that he can do more. Um, that's been pretty clear. Like he had that article come out last week, um, not last week, last year in December. Um and like just talking about how he thinks that he's been undervalued. And I, I don't think he's wrong in feeling that. But I think that there was an idea that he wanted more usage and this and that. And to me, what he's doing right now, that's how you get the all-star version of Miles Turner. You really make him just an elite top-notch play finisher. And he's done that. Like he he used to be a guy who you couldn't really throw the ball to in the post if you had a mismatch. And now you can. Like that's that's it sounds like such a minor thing, but that's massive. Like he did it two or three times yesterday against the Lakers getting just a quick thing on the baseline. They ended up sending help. Cause I think he had Kendrick Nunn in the post. Uh, Anthony Davis came and then he just spun baseline and laid it in. Like that's stuff that he, we rarely saw routinely throughout his career. Um, so it's been awesome to watch him today. I think he's around like 18 and nine right now on the season um, and really good efficiency as well. So uh, he would be on my short list for all-star. I don't know if you would make it, but, Again, if if this Pacers team ends up around 500 by the time voting is due, I think that he uh, could potentially get the nod. Yeah, it's interesting. So I just made like a shorthand list right now. I think he'd be in my top 20. Uh, I don't think he'd quite get to 12. I think he'd be at the lower end of the top 20. But like the thing that I think is actually really going to hurt him is I don't know how much of a case there is for him over Brooke Lopez. Uh, yep. Brooke Lopez has been so dominant defensively. Uh, his consistently just continued to do his job within their offense. He's averaging 16 points, six rebounds, uh, at shooting 51% from the field and 41% from three. They're a great team. They've desperately needed him throughout the start of the season without Chris Middleton. So, you know, you obviously have Joel Embiid. Uh, you have Giannis, who's going to be in the front court. You have Jason Tatum, who will be a front court player. I don't really see the case for Turner over Siakam either. Kevin Durant will be a front court player. So it's basically a wild card spot, and I don't know if they'll take a third center 
in the yeah, no, for sure. Right? I think it's just yeah, again it's like mentioning like somebody who might get a chance or like who would be yeah. in like if I had to make a short list, he'd be on it. Um, but agreed. Yeah. Um, it's funny too with Brooke. One of the things I'm interested to see is how Milwaukee brings Chris back in. Not that I think that they're just going to take away what Brooke's doing, but they've really mixed in a lot of um, Brooke post ups and just letting him kind of make things happen. And I, I've liked that part of their offense. Honestly, yeah. their offense has been hit or miss to start the year because they had some some bad shooting luck, um, and they've just missed Chris Middleton. But I think that's something I've really liked because he's been just stellar this year. Um, and agreed that I would have him as an all star right now too. Yeah, uh, not a first time all star though. Yeah, no, multiple. Never forget. Yeah. Didn't he make it when he was with New Jersey still? Because like it was still New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Because then he made it in Brooklyn as well. But yeah, never forget. (laughs) We have before we move forward. Let's go to the comments. Mix soap. uh, Renowned Italian hater Mark Schindler on the pod. Sam, has Mark told you his thoughts on the beautiful Italian boy Simone Fontecchio? What did you do? Did did you? you did Did I not send you that? No, dude. I woke up on Thanksgiving morning to like 40 plus replies from Italian fans cussing me out because I, a uh, mutual friend of ours, James Edwards tweeted out when the Pistons and, and, uh, and jazz were playing question. Who is this? Who is Simone Fontecchio? And I just replied because like I was, it was like partially in jest, but also like I meant this seriously. I was like, really funky defender who uh just makes chaotic shit happen when he's out on the court i i don't really know what to make of him right now and i meant i don't really know what to make of him as an nba guy because he just hasn't played i think he's played less than 200 minutes in the nba so far and i meant chaotic shit endearingly italy did not find it endearing let me tell you uh dms uh, I got tagged on Instagram stuff. Uh, I got absolutely dragged, uh, and that was like I language barriers happened, but that was a uh, that was something to wake up on Thanksgiving. Um, so I thankful for uh, for knowing to to be careful in how I tweet about international players in the future. Oh my god! Yeah, Mark, I really like Simone Fontecchio. He's been fun. He's done good stuff this year. <laughs> Let's take a quick commercial break. I'm glad that you got that off your chest. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to move on. We're going to talk about Shea Gilgis Alexander next and move fully into first time All Stars. Okay, we're back. Let's talk about Shea Gilgis Alexander, our body mechanics guy that just doesn't make sense to me every time I watch him slither and slash and drive his way through the paint like a snake, maneuvering through parking cones and finding his way. Like, do you know, like those like soccer drills where you go through the like quick little, uh, Yeah, the the what are they called? I don't like know. Like slalom cones, something like that. Yeah, um, slalom slalom cones, sol- slalom sticks, whatever. It's like he's doing that, except playing with mobile NBA defenders who are also seven foot tall, and he's trying to score on a ten foot basket. Uh, how someone is able to do this, I have no idea. It is the most incredible skill in terms of body control, footwork polish 
everything and like just body mechanics. He is six foot six with a seven foot wingspan, but like all of it is just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. He's just, he's amazing to watch, man. He's somebody who I always want to go back. Like I need to make time to actually go back and watch his Kentucky tape um, just to see, you know, all the differences and compare it. Cause that's something I'm doing right now. I'm actually, I don't know what will come out, but I'm writing something on, on Brooke and how his defenses evolved since he was with Brooklyn because it's funny. Like I, whenever I think about Brooke Lopez, like I think about, you know, 28% usage in the post Brooke Lopez, who was pretty bad defensively. And, you know, yeah. like looking at development and change is really fun. But with Shea, uh, I mean, there's just what he's done this year has been masterful. Like I think we talked about it um, two weeks ago. When they played Boston um, and that game, I think that game ended up going to overtime or they like lost in a close game in the fourth as Boston came back. But um, like Boston got to a point where it was like, we have to double them. They were sending hard doubles from Jason Tatum off of their weakest shooter on the court and just saying, okay, we're going to make you throw the ball away as soon as you touch the paint because we can't stop you. Like we have nothing for you. Um, his counters are so fluid. His footwork is incredible his ability to accelerate and decelerate from a standstill are just like second to none. Um, I, I, it's, it's just, and, and, and I think the bigger thing too, like my favorite part about Shay are the angles. Like I think he just yeah. throws up shots in a way with his just ungodly touch that you can't really account for as a defender. Like he'll do these things like coming off of 45, like just kind of like flipping the ball offhand, like, almost like a, an underhand version of like a sky hook. And that's like a routine <laughs> shot for him. And yeah. it just goes in. And I I don't, I, th- I mean, he's starting to get the foul calls more now. Like he, he got an ungodly amount of foul calls yesterday against the Pelicans, um, which that was, I think they were earned for the most part, but it was just weird. Cause Zion got like no foul calls. It was a weird game, but um, I just don't know how you stop him. Like, there is not one player in basketball I look at that can stop him, other than Herb Jones last night. Herb Jones gave about as close as you can to pitching a shutout against Shea, and even then, they still really struggle to contain him. Um, He's unreal. Like, the – and the passing has really grown, too. I think that's the bigger thing. Like, um, I wouldn't call him, like, a a god to your pass or anything by that stretch, but I think – his assists are almost uh, not very indicative of how good of a passer he is just because of what the shooting is on that OKC roster right now. Um, yeah. Like he's very clearly gotten to the point where I, I mean, I think it was up for question a year and a half ago, whether or not he could be the engine of a team. And I think right now I'm like, I'm very much there. Like the, the way that he's able to score and how good of a playmaker he is out of that. Well, also just being the best driver in basketball, like, yeah, that guy can, can lead any team. Like, this OKC team is legitimately solid. Like they're, and a lot of it is because of what Shea does with raising the floor around what that team is. Um, and to be fair too, like they play hard as shit. I think that always gets swept under the rug. Like yeah. you and I have talked about it, but they just New Orleans felt that wrath on the on the defensive glass yesterday. Um, but Shea's Shea's amazing, man. And I, I'll go as far as saying first time All NBA, which isn't isn't like a that's not really like a revelation, but yeah. I can't decide if I like it better watching Oklahoma City where 
Shay just has these like very obvious obstacles placed in front of him by Oklahoma City's lack of shooting, like where guys just sag off of Lou Dort and sag off of Josh Giddy all the time and sag off of even like Jalen Williams. I think Jalen Williams will turn it around as a shooter at some point soon. Uh, but like there are only shooters above 35% from three right now, even are Poku most of which comes on like trailer situations and like pick and pops. Like it's very rare where like someone it feels like is guarding him and like truly treating him as a floor spacing threat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who takes three, three pointers in 20 minutes a night. Uh, I don't know. I think he's a reasonable shooter, but I don't think he really gets guarded like a super high level shooter. Do you? Yeah, not yet. I think it's going to come in time. He had an awesome game last night, which was fun. I will always shout out Jeremiah Robinson. I love that guy. He's so good. I I also love him, but like then there's Aaron Wiggins shooting 41% from three only takes two of them a game though. And definitely does not get treated like a shooter. So like, Part of me enjoys the challenge that is set yeah. about for Shea Gilgis Alexander every night where he literally has to slalom through 45 bodies to get to the basket every single time. But part of me is like, wait, they're going to get Chet Holmgren back. They're going to get another great player again next year. Jalen Williams might learn to shoot next year because I, I think Jalen Williams will shoot long term. Mm-hmm they're going to have actual spacing at some point. Like it's very easy to envision this as a situation where they play five out. And can you imagine Shea Gilgis Alexander in a situation where he doesn't have to slalom around 45 guys to get to the rim? I mean, can you imagine with a lob threat too? And like having a real yeah. roller, because that's been the, like the the biggest thing that I've wanted from OKC, and part of why I was so excited about Chet is just having a true big that he can play with. Because like as much as I do like a lot of the front court players um, for OKC, it's a lot more pop guys, a lot more guys who you're expecting. Like yes, they're athletic and they can do lob things, but it's in terms of the actual screen setting and um, opening things up for a driver, like it's not really there. And I think that's what I was so enticed about with Chet and. Um, why I'm excited to see what that can look like next year because, yes, like that just opens up even more for him that we haven't gotten to see yet, and that's incredibly enticing. Like we, The last time we really got to see that was with Al Horford two years ago, and honestly, yeah. like it, it was cool stuff. Like You got to see really exciting shit for him, and it, I mean, that's been a year and a half already, two years since we've seen that, so I'm, yes, it, I'm, I'm very ready to just be, and I already am, like, extremely high and uh maybe even too high on Shay sometimes so yeah no he he is something special like he he yeah. is if they end up with Wembenyama it's going to be very quick with how good they are mm-hmm. like it is going to turn like that because they're going to get Chet and Vic in there at the same time and it's going to be very hard to score on them because they have so much length and they're going to be able to play five out immediately. And that's actually the lineup, how you get the utmost out of Josh Giddy as well. And you can play super big with six, 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 eight, two, seven footers, including a guy that's seven foot four plus whoever you want in the backcourt. Like you could theoretically put Aaron Wiggins there and go super, super big. You could go Lou Dort and go like super physical where he can guard one through four 
on ball at least effectively. Uh, you can go Jalen Williams, who's obviously six foot six. Like it's like you you could theoretically put like Jeremiah Robinson Earl with that duo, and it works. And like if you just want to like reduce the impact and have them have someone that can guard in the post, right? Mm. Like they're going to have so many lineup options if they were to get Wemby, but that's obviously like a, you know, at most yeah. 25% chance, uh, probably more like a, or no, that's a, most going to be like a 14% chance probably. So yeah, no, this is a great team. I love Oklahoma city. I love watching them. Uh, they're one of the teams I find myself gravitating most toward uh, Poku all-star 2028. It's coming. Right, yeah. The yeah. uh, the elite rim protector connector that everybody's just been waiting for. Uh, he's so fun, man. I love watching him play. Can you imagine the meltdown I'm going to have internally if we get a Poku, Chet, Wemby lineup? That would be crazy, man. I would be very in on seeing that happen. Um, that would that would be yes, that would be very fun. Um, yeah. Any like honestly, just any of the lineups that could happen are like the front the sheer volume of exciting front court players in this draft is like kind of nutty to think about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I'm right there with you. Okay. Who do you want to go to next? Uh, I, I think that Tyrese and Shay are the two that are like right now, no doubters. Like if yeah. the all-star teams were picked right now, there's no way you could get past not having those two on the team. I think there's probably one other guy that like realistically you need to have, but I could see a circumstance where he gets left off. Mark, do you, do you want to talk about uh, someone else though? And ahead of this time, I'm pretty sure I know who you're going to bring up and that's who I would bring up too, but I'm going to go to OG Ananobi really quick, just because okay. his last yeah, few games have been unreal. Um, I think OG is and I, I tweeted this last night. It's going to be tough for the Raptors. Like I think the Raptors are going to go on a nice run here because Pascal is back and he looked incredible again last night. Um, but I think they need to be like pretty substantially above five hundred to get two All Stars, just by virtue of how it typically has worked um, and with how loaded the Eastern Conference can be in terms of front court players right now. Yep. But like we we last week we talked about OG's defense. That's been amazing. He just absolutely uh, beat the assault. That's the wrong way to put it. Like he was fantastic against Luca. I think that was the best I've seen somebody defend Luca one-on-one in a long time. Well, and they had a great strategy too. They blitzed him all the time. Like they just constantly blitzed him and made other guys on Dallas beat them. And I think that I feel pretty good about the fact that no one else on Dallas, Dallas can beat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you take last night against the Cavs and Donovan Mitchell just had his worst game of the year because OG and an OB guarded him the entire time. Like OG is really fun because to me, he kind of uh, makes you rethink the idea of screen navigation sometimes because like he can obviously navigate screens at his size, but it's more so like he just can't be screened because he's so strong. Like he has, and I think part of it, I it's tough because it'll always depend on how a ref is calling things, but um, he's just adept at like leaning into screens and taking them away, like getting into somebody's center of gravity, blowing it up with an arm bar and taking away whatever space was just created. Like if he needs to swim underneath something, he's back around and he has his massive wingspan. So if he knows Donovan Mitchell likes to snake a screen, like, okay, I'll just fight underneath this really quick. And I'm right in front of you again, or, I'm going to get back over top and I'll have my hand right behind you. Um, 
But more importantly, like Robin Lopez was trying to screen him yesterday and OG's just blowing everything up. Um, yeah. Like they had nothing for him. And part of it, they really missed Jared Allen, to be fair. Like the Cavs were missing guys, but so are the, so are the Raptors. Um, his defense, and he, even then, like, okay, so you know that OG is going to be defending him. You try and get going and pick and roll, can't get anything going. Eventually, you just try and force switches, get him out of the way. But then he's blowing things up, coming over from the weak side and helping at the nail or helping as the low man or just doing anything to come in and, and muck things up in the paint. And I just think he's hit the point as a defender where he is so – like you you can't – even if you try and scheme him out of things, he can't. He's just so active and his timing and ability to just destroy everything for an offense is unreal at this stage. But then you take the offense um, – I think he's finally hit that blend right now where his drive game is just if he catches somebody on an island, is able to take them baseline, and even if you wall him off at the rim, okay, I'm going to shoot to the corner, I'll shoot to the slot, maybe I'll find that guy in the dunker spot, or I'm just going to go through you because I'm really strong. And even though his balance still kind of sucks, that's like the biggest issue for him right now as a, as a finisher. Like he's again, he's just he's so strong, he's able to draw the fouls. Um, his mid post game is really good. Um, the shooting is fantastic. Like he doesn't even have to do that much with, with while being effective because he's such a good player just within a system. Um, and again, I think he's somebody who will of course get, uh, it's going to be hard to get him on just by virtue like, unless Toronto goes on a massive run here, um, just by virtue of how loaded the Eastern conference is and having his teammate above him who has been playing at like a borderline MVP level. Right. Um, but I, I mean, he'd be on my short list for sure. He's been awesome. Yeah. So just to like name names here. So like Giannis, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, Kevin Durant, that's six, like in the front court wing range. Uh, then we've got, we would put James Harden ahead of OG, right? Yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, games played is going to matter for sure. But yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, so Harden, Trey Young, Tyrese Halliburton, Donovan Mitchell, that's four. That gets you to 10. Then it's like, obviously, like, I think you probably have to have Bradley Beal this year, right? Yeah. I Yeah, I think so. Um, it'll, again, it's, it's going to depend what happens with the Wizards because that team feels, yeah, yeah they're, they're in a weird spot. So that's that's eleven, and then you're into like Darius Garland, OG and an OG. Bam, we didn't even mention Bam, did we? Bam at a bio. Bam's been awesome. Brooke Lopez, Jimmy Butler is another name we haven't mentioned yet, yeah. and at some point he will get in the mix to this, you would think. Um, so it's just going to be hard. The East yeah. is very loaded this year, and this is without saying Demar Derozan and Zach Levine and guys like that as well. Even though I don't think I could really get a Pools guy on right mm-hmm. now, um, as much as I love Demar Derozan. So it's it's going to be a loaded class for sure. I don't quite think OG can get there, but man has he been good. He yeah. like the defense, the scoring ability, it's all come together into being maybe the best role player in the NBA and maybe we talk about like Mikael Bridges next with this because Mikael Bridges is probably the second best player on the Phoenix Suns right now. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't even know that it's Re, I mean, look, like if you just want to give like the auto, it's Chris Paul answer because Chris Paul is who he is. I would get that, but like, 
This season has been McHale, yeah. I think it's pretty clearly been McHale, if we're being real about it. And they are 14-6, and six, second best team in the league right now. So, or third best team, I guess, behind Boston as well. So, do they get two All Stars for being the best team in the West? Probably. I see my my thing. If it was up to me, I don't love doing it that way. I think it's just I want the best players on. But yeah, he would be. I mean, and that's well, even noting like that's my preference normally. Like I would consider him for sure. He's been awesome. The we talked about him recently in terms of just what his leap as a as a scorer has been. Um, even if the numbers don't like look massive. It's been sizable and felt on court. Um, last night was one of the best games I think he's ever played. He was so good. Um, and that was also – that's my favorite. If, if you didn't get to watch last night's game, that's my favorite NBA game I've watched this year. Suns-Kings Suns, uh, Suns Kings was fantastic. Um, really? But, I have not yes. watched that. Oh, it was a blast. Uh, Mikhail took Fox out of the game just about. It was incredible. Like, that was Fox's worst performance of the year probably. And a large part was because Mikhail was just stapled to him. And then on offense, he was so good attacking second side, just being really active off drives. I think he had seven or eight assists last night. Um, really just got to see his playmaking and got to see him be really aggressive getting downhill and getting into the paint. Um, really fun game from him. And, I, yeah, he would definitely be on my on my all-star consideration right now. Yeah, so Mikhail Bridges is averaging 16-5-4, and four, shooting, let's see the numbers here, 53-44-87. That is obscene. That is absolutely obscene. Uh, while being one of the three best perimeter defenders in the NBA, along with OG and Drew Holiday, I guess I would say would be the other guy that like immediately stood out to me. Is there anyone else that really like truly jumps out? Maybe Marcus Smart. Yeah, I think that would probably be it. Yeah. So that's your group regardless. So, I think that we have to throw him in if only because he's the second best player on the second best team or on the third best team in the league, including being the best player on the, or the second best player on the Phoenix Suns, who are the best team in the West right now. Actually, so, also just to go back, I would have Herb, Herb in that group for sure. Herb Jones is in that group without question. Herb Jones. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That's a good call. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I, I wish that we gave more love to these guys that are just like, any smart team in the league would treat these guys like super, like not superstars, but just like that level below. Like I think that both Mikhail and OG have been like clearly better than someone like Zach Levine this year mm-hmm. or someone that's like a primary scorer, but hasn't necessarily had his best year. Uh, I-, I would prioritize them over those guys I mean, like, here, here's another one. Like, so Cleveland, right? Like, would you go OG Ananobi or would you go, like, Darius Garland or Evan Mobley or Jarrett Allen? I probably have OG right now. Uh, over I Darius. agree with Darius you. Is, like, I think Darius has been looking – like, Darius has had a really good season, but his like his efficiency has just dipped. And I think part of that's been dealing with the eye. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I just based on the year, yeah, I would have OG over him. I would agree with you. Uh, you definitely have those guys over Jalen Brunson. Right. Yeah. I think I, that, that that's one of my honorable mentions, though. I got to say, like, Jalen has been awesome this year. The defense has been really rough. Um, but what he's done offensively has impressed the hell out of me. I didn't, I personally just did not think this was super doable for him. And I was wrong. Yeah. Um, it's and been awesome. Then DeJounte Murray as well. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't have him as an all star this year. I agree with you. So I don't know. Like, I think OG again. Okay. OG or I would go OG over Miles Turner as well. Definitely, yeah. OG or Brooke Lopez? 
that's where it gets tough because that's a tricky just been, yeah i think that that's where it would probably come down to record honestly and so i think i would probably lean brook right now just because yeah. he's been what i would i would consider him the second best player on milwaukee right now um the way that he's played the way that drew has played um yeah so yeah i i think that again it's more of a toss-up but yeah and then tyrese maxi like definitely og right yeah I don't I'm like I think Maxie's been really good this year, but I again like when you just look at what the what everything is in the East, I think he's gonna be a guy who probably struggles to make the all-star team unless um something really changes up, especially because he's missed time too now. Um yeah. but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So here would be a fun way to transition into the next guy, Mikhail Bridges or Desmond Bain. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it would, it would, <laughs> dude, that's tough. It would be Bane for me. Like, I think I would have to go okay. Bane just because like, yes, he's not providing nearly the same stuff on defense, but I mean, the playmaking jump, um, the scoring jump. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd go Bane. Bane's been, he was, he was awesome this year when he's been healthy. Like that. Yeah. I think I agree with you. I think he would actually be ahead of De'Aaron Fox for me right now. See, I couldn't get there, but I do think that, yeah, Bane's been really good. Let me rephrase. In the time he's been on the court, I would have him ahead of De'Aaron Fox. Obviously, what is it? It's a a toe, not a foot injury, right? Yeah, I think he had a a toe injury. Yeah, yeah, toe injury. So he's missed, what, like a week and a half, two weeks now? Something like that. So he's missed a few games. And obviously, when we're talking about all-star value at this point, you know, you missed... 33% 33% of the season by missing two weeks. So I guess that you'd have to have De'Aaron, but in terms of on-court value, I would have Desmond this year. And the only reason I say that is because I can't remember like a guy that has just been such an elite level floor spacing weapon in today's NBA that can also create shots. Like you have to close out on him so hard. If you don't close out on him as hard as humanly possible, it is curtains and that creates such a value add for John Morant. It is such an incredible blending and meshing of skills and players that is just absolutely ideal in today's NBA. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. Like watching them play together is a blast and I can't wait for him to get back out there. I think, yeah, he's only played 12 games this year, which feels weird to, to think about. I think it's yeah. been longer than a week now, which is, again, like the, that we're even at the quarter point. I think it's been two or three now. Yeah. If it's 12 that he's played, it's been two or three then. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I would I would have him there. Again, like you mentioned, the self-created growth has been pretty wild in terms of just watching him become this guy who can who can gun from behind screens or you know create his own stuff in isolation. Like he's been a blast to watch. Um I think that is a good transition for me to talk about De'Aaron Fox, though, because I would have De'Aaron Fox over Desmond Bain. Um right now, I think that's probably a more reasonable take. Um, Desmond's injury has thrown things for a loop. I, I think so. I'm actually saying, even if Desmond hadn't been injured, I think I would have Fox over Bain right now. Um, like, give me the case. Let's do it, dude. Fox's defense, like he's gotten back to actually being active on that end, which we we just didn't see for you know two and a half, three years, basically since Dave Yeager got fired um, or left. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and on top of that, like. He's just hit this point. Like, A, I think what's been so fun for me is 
the last couple of weeks, and again, part of why I loved last night's game, um, just the way that this Kings team plays is like so perfect for him, man. And you see the vision totally. I think I saw it as soon as, uh, and this is not to say that I'm special, but like because by virtue of watching Demonis Sabonis play basketball for you know his entire career, and also shout out that man won me some money when uh, Gonzaga went to the Sweet 16 his year. Uh, nobody like very few people had them peg make the sweet 16. I had them on my bracket. I won money because of that shout out Domas. Um, but yeah, like they just do so much with the motion, the constant handoffs, the, uh, all the hockey assists, just c- continual ball movement and player movement. Um, and Fox just works so well within it. Like this is the first year where I've really felt that he just isn't forcing things like mm. everything for him just feels like very in control. Um, like, obviously, like, there were the times like, – I think his pacing has obviously improved the last couple of years, and he's gotten to a point where he's, like, really good at it, using his acceleration to get to where he wants to um, while also being un- under control. But this is the first year where his playmaking and his shot selection has felt in tune with that too. Um, like, he's not jacking the pull-up threes like he had been in previous years, which is why his efficiency is so much higher. Part of that is, like, he's taking a ton of shots in the paint too. But, like – he went from taking largely most of his threes being pull-ups the last couple of years to now most of his shots are catch-and-shoot threes. That's what he's good at. Um, he's just been a lot better at deferring. And it actually was weird because last night, like, it felt like he deferred too much at times, which I felt like I've never really been able to say that about the year in his career. And I don't mean that in terms of him being selfish, but he's just always been, like, very wired to score and get downhill. Um, yeah. And he's never going to be a guy who I think is, like, a, a you know, a preternatural playmaker or anything, but – this is just like the right blend. Like he's so good at spearheading this offense and what they do and using his his gravity to just really kick things into motion and play off of Domas. And it's really fun. I love it. He's been – I mean, this is the best basketball that he's played in his career without question for me. Um, he's shooting, I think, what, yeah, 72% at the rim right now, 50% from mid-range. Um, he's just fun, man. And, again, the defense, like – you can look at what the Kings defense is right now. They're, I think they're 20. I'm looking, I want to make sure I have this right. Yeah. They're 24th in defense. They've risen a little bit over the last week. Um, I think that they can get to a level where they're around 20th. Cause I, I, I imagine there's going to be a move on the horizon for them just based on some things. Um, but he's been a large part of why they are successful in clutch time why they are a good team. Everything's built around what he's doing. He's just been awesome, man. Like, I know I'm going hard with it, but like it, it's just been fun because I think so much of the last couple of years were, well, you know, can you really even win games with the Aaron Fox? What does he actually do for you? He's not worth max money, this and that. And I think you just finally get to see him in the right, in this offense that really makes sense with him. And it's been, it's been enjoyed to watch, man. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And like, just think about it this way too. I mean, this is one of the five fastest teams in the league right now. Yeah. You need a guy who can drive that pace for the Pacers. It's Tyrese Halliburton. We talked earlier about like tempo and how he just completely dictates the tempo of the game. He does it in a different way. He does it with his passing and headman passing. And then also just constantly looking up and trying to find teammates. He does it through the air, basically in terms of controlling tempo. Fox does it with his feet. Fox does it by being a road runner and being able to like sprint out and transition and take outlet passes and just go immediately. There are a lot of different ways to pick up tempo and pick up pace. And De'Aaron Fox is doing it in his way by being 
one of the fastest players in the league. And then, oh, by the way, say that the transition opportunity doesn't work and it's not there because the team has gotten back. He just immediately just hits Damanis Sabonis on a trailer and then zooms around him for a potential dribble handoff or Kevin Herter zooms around for a dribble handoff that way. Like there are just a lot of different wrinkles to this offense, basically, that make it so hard to stop when you're scrambling and De'Aaron Fox's ability to push it in transition and immediately put that pressure on the defense and immediately make you scramble is why I think that they are so effective offensively. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think what's so fun too, and why I love Sabonis as a player, um, he just makes things simpler on guys. And I think there's like this notion to talk about him as a, as a, as a ball hog. And I think that really started in Indiana. Um, there was just a, like, Oh, well, he is, he, he's this, he's that. And like, I think I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, but I do think it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of his game. He's always been a pass first player. Yes, he needs to touch the ball, but it's to make good things happen. Like all of this is right. about making things easier for De'Aaron Fox. That's to me, like when I viewed the Sabonis trade, I think you can obviously view valuation differently and you know what what you're giving up, what's coming back. But I viewed that like right off rip like, okay, this is to make things easier on, on De'Aaron because the biggest thing for him the last couple of years has always been his decision making and some ball stopping. And uh, I think a lot of that comes out of just like some of the some of the reads that he was getting due to his gravity. He, like there was a very clear like he's not the highest fuel player. And I think by simplifying things through the offense and through having a post hub who controls a lot of the offense without like quote unquote technically controlling it, it just really unlocks the best version of him. And it's been, it's been very fun to watch. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say that Sabonis isn't the highest field player? No, 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 no. Fox Fox. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? I'm no, sorry. Yeah. I like just misheard. <laughs> no, you're like, good. Wait. You're good. He's like a genius. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is like absolutely brilliant. Um, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. I, I think that De'Aaron is well-deserving of being an all-star and this is where it's going to get fun now. Cause the next guy I think we have to talk about is Lowry Markinen. Yeah. And, I'm just like kind of going through the West. And I think this exemplifies just how wide open the West all-star picture is, right? Like, let's say these guys are locks. Nikola Jokic, Stephen Curry, Ja Morant, Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, Anthony Davis. Uh, I think you probably would put Paul George in there if he plays. Oh, yeah, I would like, have Paul on there. It, it's just about like, yeah. you know, injuries and like if he's going to play like the full way paul has been absolutely exceptional this year between his defense and by the way like a guy that because he's such an elite scorer we often end up underrating his defense and how disruptive he is with his hands and his length and dribble handoffs and being able to guard at six foot ten away from the basket like there's just a lot that he can do i think as well um so that's that's eight right there Mm. Am I missing anybody that's like a no doubter right now? Uh, I'm trying to think if you are right now because you well, notice I did not put LeBron in that list. I wouldn't either. have him either. I think uh, probably Zion. I would have Zion as probably a lock right now because he's been awesome. Yeah. Zion at nine. So Fox, we think, would be 10. And then I assume Kawhi won't play enough games. Yeah. Uh, we didn't say Booker. Booker would be a lock. Yeah, sorry. I have Booker on my eight list originally. I thought I said him. Oh, my bad. Maybe I, not. I can't hear. <laughs> um, um, yeah. 
So that's that's ten or eleven right there. That's not. I'm sorry. That's nine. So there's three spots open. One of the Timberwolves, let's say, now Carl Towns is going to be out for weeks. So I don't know if it'll be Carl Towns. Um, I don't think I would have Rudy. Would you? Probably not. I don't think I would have Anthony Edwards. I would you? definitely not have Ant. I, I yeah, right. I'm, I'm at the point of I don't think I would have a wolf right now. Like I would consider I Cat, but yeah, I probably would not have a wolf right now. Uh, oh, Shay, we need Shay. That's oh, yes. the other one yeah. that we were missing. Um, so Jokic, Booker, George, Ja, Lillard, Steph, Luca, AD Zion, Fox, Shay is eleven. It would be between like Bain and Lowry right now, I think. Would you have Brandon Ingram over those guys? Uh, I think so. That's where it gets interesting. Right now, it's tough for me. It's just going to be because of Utah slide. What are they like? I think they've lost nine of their last 10 uh, after last night because they lost to the Bulls. Um, I mean, that's going to be the biggest barrier. Uh, I don't think that the people voting are going to take into account that it's in Utah and I wouldn't either. I mean, I don't really care. Sorry. Your team should be better if you want to make the, the game. But um, I mean, yeah, Lowry would be on the short list, but again, I think it's, if this team is four games over 500, like that's different, but if they're six or seven games under 500, um, I do think that that takes away a little bit of the allure. And then I would be looking at some of the more winning teams in terms of filling out the all-star roster. Um. But I think again, like we we went we went deep on Lowry last week, and he's been even with Utah not playing. Like I mean, starting to lose games, he's still been playing really well. It's not like his efficiency has tailed off, and the shot has come back around as well because he started the year not shooting well from three, and now he's shooting like around forty percent in November. So, um, yeah, he's been really good. Yeah, I mean, like the the crazy thing is that he went from being like a floor spacer in Cleveland, where he's now. I think like in the top 10 in shots in the paint yeah. this year, uh, he's just so dominant on the interior right now for Utah, which honestly like has always been the way to use him. Like I, I think that he's always had that balance and scoring ability uh, as a ball handler, as a shooter over the top of defenders because of that fadeaway ability, mm-hmm. all of that. So I think I agree with you that I would leave Lowry off in favor of Desmond Bain think him versus Mikhail is interesting man like it's a different it's a totally different argument I guess I I might have Mikhail over him right now maybe not maybe Utah has been such a story for the start of the season that I would I guess like lean Lowry but if you were making me predict out into the future into February I would probably think that Mikhail passes him yeah I would agree Um, with that but yeah, the the West is so open, and that's without even getting to like, can Michael Porter and Jamal Murray make a run? Like, is yeah, I think that. See, that's the one I thought about too. It's going to be tough because again, like they, like the blend that they're finding. I feel like it's been weird. Like Michael Porter Jr. has been like oddly deferential at times this year in a way that I'm just not used to seeing from Michael Porter Jr. Jamal Murray's been awesome. Like, I think he's playing at, like, an all-star level. It's just the numbers aren't going to be there. Um, the one that, like, I will bring up a, uh, a a closet one, just because I doubt it's going to happen. But, again, just thinking, uh, thinking long-term, if the Blazers, they have had another rough stretch as well. I thought about this, in the too. West. 
Jeremy yeah. Grant, like I legitimately would consider Jeremy Grant for All Star this year. He's been fantastic, man. Like I tweeted out, he was not the one that I thought about for what it's worth. Oh, were you thinking Ant or Anthony yeah. Simons? Yeah, I, I think Jeremy's been better than Anthony this year. Straight up, like I the, agree with you. I just think that the voters will go toward yeah, if Anthony sure. Simons is averaging like twenty five yeah. by the All Star game right now. That's he's averaging twenty three. Yeah, I can see a world where Ant ends up as an All Star. Yeah. It's just been fun because the best part about this, like, like we, again, I think we, we, we've, I actually don't remember if we talked about this, but like point being Jeremy is playing, like, this is the best defense he's played. And this is the best version of offense we see from him. Like he has, it's been really fun to watch because I, uh, I talked about this with somebody today, but like they mentioned, you know, like, oh, well, if only Denver had been able to keep my, like, dude, I just, he wasn't this guy or even close to that in Denver. Like th- there weren't the signs of the secondary shot making. His defense wasn't this level. And I think part of that is, um, you know, obviously he had to test the waters and figure things out in Detroit and, and learn more about being an, an on-ball creator. And obviously that that has its highs and lows with, with what he is as a player. But like he legitimately is a very good secondary shot maker now. The late game stuff he's been doing has like absolutely blown me away. The foul drawing is still there for him. I think he's getting in line six times a game still. Um and the shooting has been really good. He's good attacking closeouts. The decision-making can still be like, oh, but, you know, now that he's a secondary player, it doesn't matter as much. And then the defense with how much they're playing zone and how much they're asking him to just be like, okay, we want you to just be a havoc creator off the ball, get back to doing what you were doing and really good at it, Syracuse. Like, that's the stuff that makes him enticing. Like, you get to see him just really be – like, yeah, he'll obviously have his moments on the ball, but – um, this has just been the perfect marriage for him in what he does on both sides of the ball. Um, and I, I I think he would probably be my toughest scratch for All-Star right now. Just by, like, obviously, again, yeah. Portland is falling off a little bit right now. But I do think they'll come back now that when, once Dame is back and healthy. Um, like, their their upcoming schedule is going to be really important for them and finding out, you know, what they are as a team. Because I – like that, the early season flashes to me didn't just feel like a flash in the pan. Like that very much felt like this is a real competitive playoff team, and I want to see them get back to it. Um, this has been a really fun year. I think it's the best way to put it. Like there's just been so much really awesome basketball going on. So you would have Jeremy Grant over Mikael Bridges right now. I would think the really numbers hard say about that it. you should for what it's worth. Yeah, I think I would think. Also, that's a really random thing. Uh, every advanced metric is really hard on Mikhail Bridges, and I don't understand it. Like, he's awesome. Like, usage. he's it's usage. I th- yeah, I guess it must be usage because, like, even EPM. Like, I don't know if you use EPM. I love EPM, uh, but like, it has Mikhail. Like, that's uh, that's Kostya's, right? Uh no, I think EPM is. Uh, that's that's Darko. That's Kosas, I think. Um, yeah, you're right. EPM is I think right. it's Taylor Snar. Tyler Snar. I can't remember his name right now. Um, it's really good. It's dunksandthrees.com. I highly recommend using it because um, it's the thing that matches up the most with my eyes. If we're being completely honest, which sounds like a, an unfair way to look at things, but that's just the truth. Um, but yeah, um, and then it has shit. I think it has Jeremy up like around thirty. So. And it's not just off that. I do like legitimately think like Jeremy's done a lot more with the ball in his hands as an offensive player without having like I would consider him for all defenses here. I would not probably end up having him, but he would be around there. Um, so yeah, I would consider it. I think he probably would be over Mikhail for me right now. But um, again, like if they continue to drop games, like yeah, Mikhail would be on. Um, which not, I know that sounds arbitrary, but like it has to count at some point. So 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, EPM looking at it now uh, says that we are drastically undervaluing Jimmy Butler's all-star case as well um, in that he'd be like a no-brainer. Yeah, I think he would be like, he'd be, he'd be very, I, I guess that like, I'm just like thinking of like the portion of the season. I guess I watched a lot of heat games that he missed maybe. Yeah. And he's missed a lot of games too, which has played part of it. And my yeah. answer hasn't been what we were expecting this year. So, but shout out Bam. Okay. I, I gotta say, shout out Bam. Bam has been, this is, this is the guy. This is the guy that we're supposed to be seeing the last couple of weeks. So keep an eye on that. So I'm excited. Okay, let's finish up with Gigi Jackson. We want to talk about Gigi Jackson throughout uh, these Wednesday podcasts, Tuesday podcasts. Mark and I want to dive into NBA draft prospects basically once a week, be it one that we talk about, like as a prospect showcase or whatever, or we want to talk about one or two or three or a team of prospects or something like that. We haven't figured out what it's going to be yet, but Mark is really smart when it comes to the draft. And I've been trying to figure out a way to like integrate Mark's draft brain into the game theory podcast window, not just his NBA smarts as well. Um, And we're still managing how we're going to do this, but we're just going to start by talking about Gigi Jackson because I think Gigi Jackson is maybe the most, the weirdest, most interesting yeah. prospect to evaluate think, in yeah. this class yeah when i texted you i excited you asked me what else i want to talk about. i was like let's talk about Gigi because like to me he's gonna be the hardest eval for me in the class i think without question um like and just for those not aware uh reclassed like he was originally a 2023 high school guy and, and reclassed at 2022 went to south carolina was their highest rated recruit of all time uh sam how would you describe the south carolina gamecocks team um bad yeah I will say right now they play Georgetown uh, this coming week, actually, in what will be probably the showcase of the two worst teams in in high major basketball right now, um, other than Florida State, which that's – I don't want to – I yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. But, uh, yeah, this this team is weird, and I think that's what adds an, an other, another lens to it. I, I made this analogy to Sam before the pod, but, like, to me – with Gigi, it's like going to the eye doctor and getting your eyes checked and getting those 8 million different lenses to go through. And I feel like with Gigi, there's just the most on because I'm trying to focus it and understand where it's at. Like you have really have to take into, to, into account that this dude is 17 playing college basketball right now. Like that yeah. matters a ton in looking at how he's playing and factoring into what his growth could be um, and understanding what he is right now. Um, and then you also have to take into the, to account, like I to me, this team really isn't built in a way that maximizes what he could be. Um, or, like, or maximizes good basketball. Well, yeah, that too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. It's a, it's a very funky roster. Um, and then I think the biggest thing too for me, like I don't know what archetype he is yet. And I think that's what is so fascinating about him because I think so many players you can look at throughout the draft and be like, I can like envision what they're going to be in the NBA. And I think I look at Gigi and I'm like, he could go six different ways because he just yes. very clearly does not have his skill set figured out yet. And that's not meant as a bad thing. I think it's something I really learned the last year or two watching AAU basketball. Like I watched this guy who he's going to be really good. So keep this name in mind. Efiosa Oliogu, um, Canadian prospect. He is going to be fantastic. 
but I watched him play three games in one day, and he looked like a different player in every single game because he was a sophomore playing playing up in in eighteens. Um, I mean, in seventeens, and. I think that's how I feel watching Gigi. Like this is a guy who like you can see the outlining of of a lot of different things, but he's still kind of testing the waters and figuring it out. And it's just in a really I, I think what I'm gonna struggle with is trying to under like I, I don't know, like trying to parse through what I think I most see for him. Um like I think that there have been some ideas from people that he could be like a very real shot creator and I am, I'm probably not there yet. I think that there are some, there are some ideas of shot creation, some things in there that are really intriguing, but um, yeah. So, I, so I mean, let's, I'm, I'm let's interrogate yeah, that. Yeah. yeah let, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So I, I just kind of want to run through Gigi's situation a little bit more simply, right? Yeah. So South Carolina's team they are a disaster when it comes to turnovers. They're turning the ball over on 21.4% of their possessions. They can't really shoot. They shoot 32.3% from three, and that's with Gigi shooting 40% from three right now. Chico Carter and Jacoby Wright are really the only guys around him that can even slightly shoot. Like They're both over 40%, but nobody else is over 30% right now. And guys like Hayden Brown, Michi Johnson – they take them, but they just don't even get treated as shooters out there. So essentially, when Gigi is out there with both Carter and Wright, it's not as bad. But when he's out there with one of the two, which he is like a not in not a uh, I would say he's out there a fairly substantial amount of time with one of the two, not both of the two. Uh it becomes very difficult because teams just condense on him and constantly uh, attack his dribble when he tries to drive or try or like they, they just kind of are capable of making life very, very difficult for him in terms of spacing. In spite of that, he's averaging 17.2 points per game, 7.7 rebounds, 1.2 steals, but he is turning it over three times per game because he's tasked with initiating offense as a 17 year old who is six foot nine, and like a big essentially, or like a bigger wing playing college basketball in a situation that is not well-spaced. He is also a guy that has a 52.8 true shooting percentage right now in large part because those guards don't get him early looks. So I watched mm-hmm. the Furman game this morning and there was a really great example in the first half where he beat his man down the court. He was able to kind of backspin off of him on the block and then completely seal him up to the foul line gave his guard oceans of space to entry the ball into and the guard threw it out of bounds. So there's very little that is easy for Gigi. If it's not just a reversal into a catch and shoot three, Uh, those are really the only times he gets easy shots. So now this is where let's interrogate the shot creation, right? Because that's actually something that like, I think we have okay reps on, Right now, uh, we have like examples of him going around ball screens, of him ISO driving. Like we've seen a decent amount of stuff with him actually being able to drive and do things. So, what do you think of his hip flexibility? Because that's where I 
struggle with him a little bit. Yeah. I think you bring when up you, a really great point because this is like, that's one of the yeah. biggest things right now. Um, obviously not the same guy, but like, it kind of reminds me of watching Jaron Jackson Jr. Sometimes because of like, you look at him yes. and he plays with that hunch a little bit uh, because he has a really high base. And um, I think that's where I have some pause with him as a shot creator, because a lot of like, I do think he has like his handle at his size is actually relatively interesting. Like I think part yeah. of the turnovers are coming from that, but also again, it's kind of the opposite mind, like, of, it's like the opposite of Brandon Miller. Like yeah. I think Brandon Miller has super flexible hips and like can stop and start on a dime and like hit the brakes and then like string a guy out away from the basket and like pull him out, but doesn't really have the tightness of handle yet to be able to like really do damage off of it. Mm-hmm. Gigi, I think doesn't, I don't know if he has that like flexibility to be able to foster like real creativity off the bounce, but he does handle the ball. Well, like he, can actually like control the ball and like keep it like relatively tight. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's had some, like some decent stuff coming off ball screens, but uh, again, it's like if he gets funneled any direction other than straight, like he has to pick up, uh, pick up the ball um, or he just doesn't really get any kind of paint touch. And again, part of that is the spacing too, to be fair. Um, So it's been a lot of pulling up from, you know, 17, 18 feet, um, or having to reset. And um, again, it's yep. not all like bad stuff. There's interesting stuff there. And I do think like the shooting touch has been like very solid. Like I think like the shot is real for me from three. Um, I don't know if I consider him a 40% three point shooter yet, but like I think he's been comfortable and capable. And that's, that's big considering this, the, the step up he's taking. And he's also like, he's taking self-created threes. He's taking very deep threes. Um, like it's not just like I'm taking this catch and shoot from the corner. Like I do think uh, there has been some variety in a shot too. Like it's not fully off movement or anything, but I do think that there's been reason to be pretty intrigued by a shot. Yeah. And speaking of that variety, like he's made pull-ups going both to his right where he has to like plant with the left plant with the right and then go up. And he's made them like catch the ball on the block on the right side of the court pump fake pound dribble to the left and shoot on like a step back. So that's kind of the variety that you're talking about, Mark. It's yeah. like he can get it from a variety of different footworks, from a variety of different kind of angles, which is super important. You look at his dribble jumpers this year, according to Synergy, he's made eight of 23, most of which are from the mid-range. Uh, but if you look at his catch and shoot numbers, he's made eight of 21 of those. And all of those are threes. So he has a 57.1 effective field goal percentage on his catch and shoots, which is really good. And I don't know about you, but like if guys don't close out on him hard, I actually feel pretty good. Like I I feel like he's going to make it most of the time. Like it's pretty clean. Like if he can get, he mostly takes them off the hop. Like if he can get into his hop and there's no impediment coming at him, I think he's actually pretty good with it. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that for sure. Um, and he has like he has a good release point too. It's not like he's shooting it from from his shoulder. Like it's very much coming uh, on a good release point. I like where it's at. Um, as for like, and I think too, like he gets good height on his just actual jump when he's shooting from the mid range yep. as well. Um, I think what's going to be interesting too, like the drive stuff. I've actually been pretty encouraged by us finishing through contact. 
which has really stuck out to me again with him being 17 years old they've played like Colorado State is a they're not a big team but they're pretty physical they're still a very yeah. good team um obviously they lost David Roddy but I would they're going to be a good mid-major team this year um like Clemson had actually did give him some issues I can't remember the name of their uh older forward but he gave him some issues down the stretch but like point being PJ like, Hall yeah yes PJ Hall and he's had like some real moments of finishing through two or three guys. He had like a really nice Euro step in the in the Clemson game. Like again, it's all like it's not consistent. Like I think the finishing through contact's been consistent, but the way he's getting there is not. Like you're still kind of piecing that together. But I think the allure of a really intriguing face up player is there. Um and just like having some utility. Um where are you at with the passing though? Yeah, that that's actually what I was gonna ask you is just like I don't even know that it's passing. It's more like, cause it's almost not his role. Like his role yeah. is to go in and score. I feel like it's more like processing to me. Yeah. I feel like he doesn't process well when he gets faced with doubles. And I feel like if someone digs at him, he kind of panics. Right. Yeah. Cause again, he can't really change direction. He can't really stop on a dime super well. And this is where like him being 17 and being the like number one option on a sec team. This is where I think the evaluation gets super hard Yeah, because you want to believe that these guys is they play more basketball, especially super high level basketball, like Gigi Jackson is being thrown into right now. are going to improve their poise. They're going to improve their processing ability. There's, you know, just multiple examples against the you know, I, the Furman game is stuck in my mind because I literally watched it, you know, an hour before we uh, started this. But in the first half alone, like there was one play where he was on the left block, caught the ball. His man is kind of up on him high a little bit. And then a Furman defender comes around the backside and tries to go for the steal. And he feels it late and kind of panics and then just like throws a pass one handed and it gets picked off. And then he had one play where like he got a drive to the left out on the wing and then like tried to spin back. And then again, like because someone dug at his handle, it seemed like he kind of panicked a little bit and threw another like wild errant pass that resulted in like, I think it was like Furman batting it and then picking it off right at the basket basically. So I I struggle to know what to do with the processing right now because it shouldn't be easy for him. Yeah. He's 17. Like Furman is good. Uh Clemson is old at the very least. Uh you know, going back through some of the games they've played, they played uh, South Carolina upstate, I think earlier this week, and he dropped like 22 points and was just more physically dominant than everyone on the court in that game. Uh, it, it's just hard. It's very, very hard to know what to do with the processing ability. What have you thought of it so far? Yeah, I agree. I think I would call him, I wouldn't even call him a low field guy right now. I think he's like somewhere in between for me. Like I, I don't think that he has a bad feel for the game, but I think it's more just like you mentioned in the situations with the ball in his hands, he feels really tight right now. Like, I think that's the best way for me to put it. Like you can tell that he's thinking things a little bit. Um, and I think that that's stuff that can improve, especially like more like since we're talking about him being 17 right now, like I think that, that's the stuff that I'm really hoping we see improve as the year goes on, even if it's just a minimal amount. Um, and uh, yeah, I, again, I, I don't, 
I don't know. Like, I think that's that's the biggest barrier for me with him. Like, I think if that improves this year, then my projection and, and feel on him changes. Um, what what right, have you thought of the defense? Because that's like another part of the process. Yeah, yeah, that's an entire well. part. Um, I think that is where, again, it's going to be really interesting to see because I think there's really encouraging stuff on the yeah. perimeter defense. Like, he has really good hands at his size. I think he has really yeah. good flashes as a perimeter defender. Um, he can get lost off the ball sometimes. Uh, more than sometimes like he gets lost lost off the ball a decent amount i think he's had some flashes of rim protection but again like you really see him thinking things when he has to play as the low man i feel like or even more so like i think he's so uh it feels like he's so focused in on making sure his man doesn't you know uh get free or, or get the ball that he just kind of forgets to do help things or just is so focused on that that he doesn't um, yeah. And again, like that's something I think with more reps, more time can improve. Again, the flashes are really encouraging. And I think the other thing too, like he's good at doing like the easy shit, like the, the or not, not even that rebounding is easy, but like he's a very good rebounder at his size on both ends. Um, like the ability to, like you mentioned with the quick seals and he has not looked like he's not strong at all, which I think, again, that's something that's been impressive because especially being 17, like, um, you do wonder like, okay, is he going to have issues like really playing against a bigger, a bigger big. And I think that it'll be interesting to see them play against Kentucky. Cause that'll be fun too. You know, anytime anybody plays against Oscar Sheway, um, shit, Oscar was probably playing his first year at West Virginia when Gigi was in middle school. So that's <laughs> for thought, but um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like that it's, I think the, how he improves his feel is what is going to differentiate for me between him being an energy player that maybe he gets rotation minutes and becoming something more than that. So wh- where would you have him right now? I think that see, that's what's so hard because like, I think I would probably have him in the late first right now. I know yeah. um, there have been some people who have had him like closer in the lottery. Um, and I get it. Like, I think if, like I tend to just value a little bit more on on higher fuel players, and again, not that he's low fuel, but he's the guy who I think I need to really. It's going to be tracking the progress throughout the year. Um, yeah. He's somebody I want to go back and watch some high school stuff of too. Um, but like any, I mean, fit matters for every single team. I mean, for every single player, but like fit for him is going to be so important because it's got to yeah. be a place that's going to be very bought in on who he can be. Uh, has a clear plan on how to get him there and is going to provide him that because as we we've, we've talked about with plenty of players on this pod like if you don't have that I think it can be really really harmful um for a guy's development so um like he is for me like again I like he could fluctuate from being in the middle of the lottery to you know maybe not even the first round depending on how things go in SEC play um so it's again, like, I mean, it's a lot of it, not the same player, but kind of same stuff as what we thought about with Amani last year. Like, Amani came on really strong. Um, he looked like, oh, like, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, we're obviously he wasn't going to be able to be drafted last year, but um, that things things got really difficult for him as the year went on. And I, I don't think that it's going to be the same with Gigi, to be honest. No, um, yeah. but I just think, like, again, like, that's kind of where my head's at. Like, I just, want to give him as much leeway as possible because this is a high school we're playing college like that's just that's really difficult okay so let, let's run through names here I, I would say anywhere 10 to 30 is reasonable yeah. for gg at this point i would probably go more toward the higher end of that 
once you start like putting names to a conversation for sure. right now, um, would you rather take him or a sore Thompson? Oh, a sore without question with the new, the fact that a sore is like really shooting right now in OTE, I would take a sore. If the shooting reverts back to what it's been previously, I think that it becomes more of an open question, but right now, if with the shooting that a sore is showcasing right now in OTE, I think that you would take a sore for sure. Yeah. Would you take Grady Dick or Gigi Jackson? That's tougher. Um, I think, see, because I do really like what Grady can be in the NBA. I think that one's more of a toss-up for me and would depend on team, which is obviously that's a a cop-out. But I think I would probably lean, lean Grady here. I think I would go Jackson because I have been absolutely terrified by everything Grady Dick has shown defensively this yeah, season. That's fair. Um, would you take Jarris Walker Jarris. or Gigi Jackson? I would take Jarris. I love Jarris. I, I, Jarris is top 10 for me right now. How do you feel about Jarris? Let's, let's put a pin in that maybe. Okay. Let's maybe let's do Jarris next week because gotcha. I have some, Semi real concerns. Okay. Uh, would you take Terrence Shannon or Gigi Jackson? I think I would go Gigi here. Again, it depends on team, but I think if you're a team that's rebuilding and trying to, you know, find higher end talent, I think you would take Gigi and figure it out just because by virtue of Terrence being older. Jet Howard or Gigi Jackson? I would have Jet Howard over him right now. I think I would go Gigi if only because I think Jet's defense has also been very scary so far. Yeah. Um, and his foot speed does not look very good. Yeah. And not to say like Gigi has been incredible on that end, but I think there's a bit more upside there. And I think that Gigi's shooting has been a real eye opener. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jets ability that that's very close to me. I would say Th- those two are very close. Bryce Sensabaugh or Gigi Jackson. Ah, see that. I'm just giving you all of Dude. the disaster defenders basically. Oh uh, yeah. No. And especially to like, Shit, does Bryce still have what? What is his usage right now? Is it still thirty six percent, right around there? Uh, yeah, it's I mean it's monstrous. Like, yeah, um, I think I would. Uh, dude, see, that's tough because like, what Bryce is doing as a scorer is like legitimately very exciting. Um, yeah, but we have so much time to figure this out. But I'm just doing this to yeah. make your life miserable. It's it's right awesome. Actually. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm happy because we very I think one of the very first pods we did I shouted out I was like watch out for the Ohio State freshman class and Bryce has yeah. done that. Um I think I would have Gigi right now. Um just yeah. because like Bryce is like he's really fun, but if the passing doesn't come around at all, like I that's really hard for me to project um in a positive yeah. manner. I've been a little bit more encouraged by the passing than the sheer numbers indicate, but you know, that's still a real skill that he's going to have to figure out. Um, Close for me, I would say. So I basically would have Gigi in the 10 to 20 range right now, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, I think that if you want to have him at the end of the first, I think it's fairly reasonable because like you can really get into like, would you take him or Kalel where? Based off of what we've seen, I think I would probably go. G- ah, see, I don't know because Kalel has been Kalel is tough for me, man. Like, very another guy that at some point we're going to have to talk about because yeah, 
you should not be yeah. able to move like that at seven foot two. But also, Correct. he so his feel for the game can be a little bit frustrating at times. Um, yes, I think I would probably go. I think I'll go Gigi here. Yeah, that's one that is. I think I would go Gigi as well. Um, but it's close. Uh, and, and this is before we even get into like, would you take Filipowski or Gigi Jackson? Oh, I would take Filipowski. I love Filipowski. I also love Filipowski. I think that, you know, speaking of archetype in the NBA, I don't know what archetype Kyle Filipowski is in the NBA. He's a basketball like, player. Yeah, exactly. Like he's really, he's, truly he's, works. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the, the basketball player archetype doesn't always work. Unfortunately, yeah. how did that, that go for Tyler Hansborough? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not great. Um, yeah. Like I, I had an agent ask me, uh, this week. Yeah. Do you still think Kyle Filipowski is like the next coming of Henry Ellenson or not? And I was like, Whoa, like I'm like Kyle a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I think he's way more mobile than Ellenson. I think he's way more, like I think he's a better shooter. I know Henry shot really well at Marquette that year, but like I think he's just a better shooter. I f- it feels better coming out of his hand. Like yeah, and he's got way better feel for the game than Henry did too. Like yeah, yeah. totally. So like, but that's like it, it's a similar archetype in terms of is he a four? Is he a five? Yeah. How do you make it work defensively? I think he's actually a little bit more mobile than he gets credit for defensively, but. I agree still probably not good enough to play the four either. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard with Filipowski, but maybe next week we do Jairus because Jairus is one that I struggle with quite a bit. Um, He's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating player. Okay. Movie time with Mark Schindler. What have you watched this week? So tonight I'm going to watch smile. Um, I was supposed to watch that last week. I did not end up watching it. Yeah. Um, what else did I watch? Well, let me open up my letterbox really quick. What did you watch this week? Well, we wanted to talk about Pearl. Yes. Uh, oh, let's talk about Pearl because Pearl was great. Pearl is very interesting. Uh, it's simultaneously what I expected it to be and a little bit different. I think I expected more horror elements, whereas it just ended up being like a character study. Mia Goth is amazing in this movie. Yeah. Like, I thought she was good in X. I think she is like Academy Award worthy in Pearl. Like she is staggeringly good at this film. Uh, you mentioned this like in the text chain, but like the smile at the end of the movie. Yeah, dude, that haunted me. Uh, legitimately. Yeah. Everything is on her shoulders in this movie. Everything is on her just like little micro facial movements. Everything is on her reactions to things. She gets like this six minute dialogue, basically like near the end of the film that is incredible. Like there's no chance she will be nominated for an Academy Award because the Academy just will not respect a movie like Pearl for reasons beyond my comprehension. But this is one of the best screen performances in any movie this year. Point blank. Yeah, right. she was she was fantastic. Uh, the like you mentioned, the the ending credits are just like that. That got me. I had Ooh. to turn my TV off very quickly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, her her performance overall, like most of the movie is just her. Like it's just her on yeah. screen. Like I think at least half the movie is just her, and you wouldn't even know it half the time. She was really good. She was so good. Um, I'm trying to think of like in terms of just like 
to have an actress who's capable of like actually kind of eliciting dread while she's smiling um, and being the yeah, only right? thing on screen <laughs> is like, that was really good. That was really good. And I just, I continue to really just enjoy um, those kind of movies. Like I, I like I, I went into X not expecting it to be like awesome. Uh, and I was pretty yeah. like, like it was still like, I wouldn't say it's like some outside the box horror movie, but it was very fun. And I liked the direction. Like Ty West was really good with it. And Pearl was just like you mentioned, it was so different. I didn't expect it to be like, I expected it to really veer into just being straight horror. And it kind of did the opposite. Um, and it was much more of like a, a thriller. Uh, it, it almost felt like a very fucked up version of seven uh, <laughs> in some ways, in terms yeah, of just like yeah. the palpable dread of watching this thing fall apart. Um and I enjoyed that. It was very good. Uh, it was on Saturday. Yeah. yeah, like, I think that the advantage that Pearl has, and ultimately why I think it's like a little bit less impressive than X, is that X was able to introduce this character and give you background on what she's going to become and yep. give you this idea of who this character is. It, it does all of the character intro for the movie. It does all the character intro for Pearl, that is. Which means Ty West in this film can just go into it immediately, right? There's no lag time. There's no lead up. You're just with this woman, point blank, throughout mm. the film. And ultimately, I think that that's what I struggle with a little bit with it is just, I don't know what the grander statement of this movie is. Uh, I don't know like what it's trying to say about it's ostensibly it's protagonist. Um, I guess an anti-hero, but like Pearl is the protagonist of this film, I guess. And also the antagonist simultaneously, like yeah. just everything within this movie is on Mia Goth's shoulders, which is why it's such an impressive performance. But like, I don't know that it stands out in any way from the greater X Pearl universe, right? Like if you hadn't seen X, I don't know if you would see the purpose for Pearl basically. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. And I think it has like, bear with me for a second, but it has like kind of the same issue of being like star Wars episode three, revenge of the Sith, because like, you know what's going to happen. Like, you, mm. like, just by the, you, like, let's say that Pearl is basically Anakin Skywalker in this situation. Like, you don't know exactly how we're getting there, but you know it's happening in this time frame. So it does kind of sap it a little bit. But I, again, like, I think in some ways that adds to, like, the existential dread of it a little bit. Like, um, I'm half expecting every time she goes in the farmhouse, she's going to kill all the animals because she just goes insane. Um, we get one animal down, but yeah, like that. It's like the little things like that where I agree. I think it it kind of cheapens it in a sense because you you already know a little bit of what's going to happen, but also it does kind of add something to it, you know, and that you or maybe adding something to it is the wrong way to put it, but yeah, it's I I I agree with what you're saying. I just think I I I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I thought it was like definitely worth watching and like it's a good film for sure. And Ty West is like the the fact that Ty West could do two exceptionally like disparate films within the same year and make it work is incredibly impressive to me. Mm -hmm. Um 
I watched again, I will note, I noted this of spins, but I watched Honk for Jesus Save Your Soul, which is with uh Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall. And there is a scene in there for two minutes where those two rap knock a few buck. And oh, I would fantastic. implore everyone to go watch it. Uh, I watched Poker Face, which is the new Russell Crowe directed movie. I just have to say this. It is the most aspirational casting of 2022. You know how most of the time, like filmmakers who star in their own movies or filmmakers in general, they will put a woman in the film that is 15 years younger than the main guy. And it looks ridiculous. And it's completely like in a lot of ways, it's sexist. Obviously there are films that pull it off in a way that is interesting, but by and large, it's not a great look for film studios. This movie has an example of that, except it's Russell Crowe casting Liam Hemsworth as one of his high school classmates. Liam, Liam Hensworth is 32. Yeah, Russell no. Crowe, I think, is like 58, something yeah. like that. And like they try to age Liam Hemsworth up, but it's just like, what are you doing? This is still Liam Hemsworth. He's still like 25 years younger than you, Russell Crowe. How are you making this guy That's hilarious. your high school classmate, like your old friend from high school? That's incredible. No, that's that's very funny. Um, it's a bad wow. movie. Don't watch it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Interesting. Uh, have you seen Black Adam yet? I have not. I need to see that. I need to see the new Black Panther movie as well. I'm hoping to yeah. go out and see that this week. Um, TBD on that, though. I might actually... I have to go on a flight this weekend, so maybe I'll be able to catch a movie on there. We'll see. Um, yeah. But... Again, TBD. Uh, I did see. Um, I'm trying to think. I saw a couple. Uh, I saw Killing Them Softly for the first time. Um, that was Andrew a movie. Dominic. That's the one yeah. for Andrew Dominic. There's a lot of them, but uh, Blonde is not it. Killing Them Softly is it. Yeah, I enjoyed Killing Them Softly um, for what it was. I think it was. Uh, it was definitely different. Uh, very odd casting for Brad Pitt. Like it just like it. Was, I think he was good in it. But it just like uh, it didn't fully like it works. Obviously, I think the movie works, but um, he just doesn't feel stupid enough to be that guy in some ways. <laughs> like they try. I, I love and, when I love it when Brad Pitt plays stupid, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like uh, Burn After Reading is yeah. one of my favorite movies. It's so funny, and he's amazing in it. Um, that also shout out. Not to spoil it, but Burn After Reading, like that scene is like the most whoa like unexpected non-horror movie scene i've ever like been unprepared for um but yeah no i enjoyed i mean james gandolfini his monologue was like i felt like i had to i don't smoke and i felt like i had to take a drag after that (laughs) um that was no it was really good that's a that's what i want to revisit and watch again Um, but the cinematography was really fun and i liked the casting a lot um have you seen bullet train i have seen bullet train I thoroughly enjoyed Bullet Train. It was uh, it was fun for me. I had fun with aspects of Bullet Train. I think ultimately I probably went in with expectations that were a bit too high. Yeah, it was a little bit all over the place, but I liked it. Yeah. It kind of felt like a knockoff Guy Ritchie movie in some ways. And I love Guy Ritchie movies, so it worked for me. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it was a little bit too long. Like, they could have cut some parts out. Um, but overall, like... 
That was very fun. I could do that again. That that felt like one that was particularly affected by COVID and like shooting in the middle of COVID to me, because a lot of the scenes just don't have like a ton of scale. Like it's just like one or two people or three or four people in a scene. And I would imagine that it was because they were trying to knock it out when they're in the middle of COVID times and you can only have like a certain number of people on set. Mm -hmm. Um, So that one felt a bit tricky to me. Uh, But like Aaron Taylor Johnson is amazing in that movie. It's been cool to see him because like he hasn't, I feel like he hasn't done a ton since like I had really high expectations for him from kick-ass. Like I, I don't know your thoughts on kick-ass kick-ass is like I'm biased because I think I was in high school or no, I was probably middle school and kick-ass came out. I think about it. So I absolutely like, I mean, I fell in love with that thing. Um, and he just kind of went off the grid for a little bit. And he did, like, he was in Godzilla, the first one. And then um, he's done, like, a few other things. But now, like, he was really good in Bullet Train. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed him in this. Um, well, have, have you seen uh, the new news about Aaron Taylor Johnson? I have not. What is the new news? So he's apparently, if not the front runner, but, like, one of the front runners to play James Bond right now. I can't see him as James Bond. I'm intrigued. I'm, like, I think he's very but... talented. I think he's mm-hmm. better playing a scumbag as opposed to playing yeah. uh, like higher class. Yeah. Like I think he would come off a little bit too much like Pierce Brosnan. Uh, so I, if we're going in terms of Bond genre, like you just like, he seems like too diminutive and uh, like scummy to be, to be James Bond based on what his past characters have been. So that's interesting. Um, yeah like he he's good in. do you remember that movie with him and john cena called the wall where like yeah, I, he's, I, I don't think i ever saw it but I, I do remember it existing yeah he's like a sniper um or like a spotter i can't remember if he's the spotter or the sniper like on the wall in uh iraq that one he's really good in that one um trying to think what else he's been really good in that i liked i do like him in kick-ass for sure i think he's really good in tenet actually so again he's like i gotta see tenet but i haven't yeah he's he just like randomly pops up and he's like kind of a scumbum in it Mm -hmm. and it's pretty good like it, it actually just like really works effectively so yeah i uh i don't see bond for him but i would he's talented enough to where i could see him like making it work maybe yeah no i agree uh, it'll be interesting to see who else was mentioned in that one like in terms of being a uh, finalist or bond oh look the, the english tabloids are <laughs> always all over the map when it comes to like the james bond search right so aaron taylor johnson uh is the name right now the sun is the one that is reporting that aaron taylor johnson had this like top secret amazing screen test uh earlier this year um they say henry cavill maybe is one see that he's like that's just like that's too much like i love i think he's actually a really good actor i think he gets underrated as an actor especially he was so good in the witcher um but like that's just like it almost feels that it just feels like cartoonish putting Henry Cable as as James Bond. Yeah, I, I think he'd be. I I would only want him to be one of Bond or Superman, and I would prefer him as Bond. But 
I don't think we're only going to get one of those, unfortunately. Yeah. So the current betting odds, Cable is the favorite. Uh, Reggae Jean Page, who is in Bridgerton and is in that Gray Man movie that just came out. Um, he's the second favorite. Tom Hardy and James Norton are six to one. James Norton also, I think, is someone that tends to play better as like a scumbum. Uh, mm-hmm. and like using his charm as a like, you know, dangerous person as opposed to like James Bond. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor is seven to one. Dan Stevens and Jack Loudon are eight to one. Richard Madden is nine to one. Um, and then Aaron Taylor Johnson and Michael Fassbender are 10 to one right now. A German James Bond would be actually kind of hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't see Fassbender at all. I think <laughs> yeah. that's just like a bad yeah just for the hell of it like yeah uh that's interesting i i honestly like i mean truth would be fun i think it'd be good um yeah i agree norton i think norton would pull it off but also like because he was in what was that movie called it was him and amanda seyfried uh it was a horror movie that came out i think it was a netflix release it was actually really good um but he was in that he plays like kind of a douchebag. So yeah, I, um, yeah, all of those castings don't like feel quite right for me. I don't know. I just, just make it Idris Elba. It would make me happy. At least do like one movie with Idris Elba. You'd be so They want to go younger in Idris Elba is like yeah. into his fifties now. So we I just don't pretend, think that- you know, but yeah, no, I agree, but it's, I wish. I wish like, I, I think that that would make the most sense, honestly. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find this horror movie that you're talking about with uh, Let me James Norton. Really the movies that I have seen him in are he's in Little Women, obviously, which is one of my favorite movies. Oh, you're talking about things seen and heard. Yes, that's right. I have yeah. seen this. Yeah, uh, he's fine in this. Yeah, I yeah. think that he's kind of boring in that one. He's yeah, no, this... I mean, like he's not awesome in it or anything, but I just mean like he was yeah. in that movie. So he's in this movie called Rogue Agent that just came out this year um, with um Gemma Arterden and uh he plays this secret agent sort of uh I'll say and it's he's good as secret agent he's good as like scumbum kind of it's an interesting performance he's also in um what's what's that movie um Flatliners the one with okay. Elliot Page and Diego Luna yeah no I know that movie yeah and he's pretty good in that too, I think. So there's a lot that he can do. Like he might be the guy, to be honest. But I don't know. I, I, I'm intrigued by Aaron Taylor Johnson, though. To get back, see, to it's it. hard with me because James Dorton. I always watch him, and I just think of the guy who played. Uh, um, shit, what is his name? Dude from Friday. Night. I, he looks like Matt Saracen. That's all I can think about. I'm like, this is classic. Does look Matt a Saracen. little bit like Zach Gilford. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so yeah, it's hard for me to do that. James Dorn is, is. Or we could just make Zach Gilford Bond. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, Bond from Texas. That's in, that would be yeah. insane. actually. I think Zach Gilford's from like Chicago. He's a big Bulls fan. I, I've yeah. never seen that somewhere, but I believe shit. that's right. Yeah. Zach Gilford, for what it's worth, also a little bit shorter. He used to go to this one brunch place that Laura and I used to go to when we lived in LA. Yeah. Um, a little bit shorter than what you would think he is. Yeah, he looks he's probably five seven. Yeah. Like you I expect like based off of Friday Night Lights, you expect him to be like pretty tall. And I think yeah. he's, you know, I don't know if he's five seven, but like I think he's, you know, maybe like 
five nine, five ten, something Damn. like that. Yeah. Um, okay, Mark. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mg underscore Schindler. I have a Patreon as well. That is always uh, appreciated if you go check that out. Um, you can find me on podcast platforms at uh, Tag the Roll. And they've got now, which is the uh, so Tag Rules, my draft and scouting one that I do with uh, Zach Milner. That one's fantastic. We have a good time over there. Um, they've got now is a women's basketball podcast diving into some behind the scenes stuff, having you know really good interviews with people. I had Veronica Burton on st- starting point guard for the Dallas Wings recently. She was really great. Recommend checking that out. Um, gonna be out going and doing a feature that I wasn't anticipating doing this weekend. So I'll be uh, I'll be AWOL for a little bit, but. Love looking it. forward to it all right go follow all of mark's many podcast works uh let's see i don't like i said earlier this week i don't think i have too too much on the writing docket this week but i do have um i'll probably be tweeting some threads like from tape that i'm watching i did one last night i very much enjoyed that yes ohio state texas tech and just mm-hmm. how chris holtman and that staff did a really good job beating the no middle defense. We're, we're going to have to have a long conversation at some point about the no middle defense, because I think it's really good in theory and it falls apart when you play a team that can just spread you out five out and yeah. cause you problems by getting you into scramble situations. So as more teams like develop that skill and like more players who develop to play perimeter basketball, I worry about what that looks like long-term, but Maybe that's a conversation for another day. Definitely. For today, that's it, though. Go subscribe to the podcast. Go follow the podcast on Apple. Go subscribe on Spotify, whatever podcasting platform you use. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. That's it. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.